he went out one night and unfortunately was with someone who he thought was a friend and that was absolutely not the case assault attempted murder like this changed me for the rest of my life nobody thought to look at us and say are you okay i mean 24 7 warm vodka shitty cheap vodka it wasn't even the good stuff that wasn't fun that was numbing i gotta get into some therapy for this should make a lifetime movie you should make a lifetime movie you know what it saved my life because i was spiraling i was out of control i didn't want to live it everyone watch out (laughs) christmas is canceled everybody repeat abort mission (laughs) childhood trauma is one of the worst things i just chose to have it impact my life in the best way i possibly could you get to have boundaries you get to protect your energy it's your life there is nobody else that's in control Hello and welcome back. You're listening to season two of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes do talk about trauma of various kinds. So listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people who understand exactly what you're going through and who can help. If you're looking to connect more closely with that village, join us on Facebook in the group Your Village by following the link at the top of today's show notes. When you join, enter your email to receive our free monthly resource. Hopefully you'll learn something new, hear something interesting, or truly just be reminded that you're not alone. Without any further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hi everyone, today I have with me Shelby Nab. Shelby is going to talk to us about her journey with mental health. Welcome Shelby. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. So excited to be here. Of course. So excited to have you here. So tell me a little bit about, let's just start at the beginning. Where did your mental health journey begin? Yeah, so that's like that wild question, right? Like picking out where, but after uh, quite a bit of therapy and self-reflection, um, you know, for as long as I remember, both my parents drank, um, and later became functioning alcoholics. But I would have to say at nine is when it got really, really bad. Um, I don't have a lot of memory before that. I can remember like one birthday at Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. That's, that's about all I've got. Chuck E. Um, Cheese is a good, important childhood memory. (laughs) That's what I thought too. You know, like if I can remember anything, like, I guess that's solid. Um, But you know, going back before that, like I remember bits and pieces of my grandparents, but I, I don't remember very much. So I don't know if it's my trauma that wiped it out, but at nine, my brother, who I was the closest with, um, he was assaulted and nearly Mm. died. And, um, my parents had us all spread apart. So my brother was 15 years older than I am, or he's 15 years older than I am. My sister's nine years older than I am. And then I'm, I'm the baby. 
but I don't have like the cool, like spoiled baby part. You know what I mean? Like the youngest of the family. No, I, I kind of got screwed on that title. Uh, <laughs> but with my brother, I was, I was so close to him. Like he was my, he was my life. Like if there's any memories I have, it was him. And um, he went out one night and unfortunately was with someone who he thought was a friend and that was absolutely not the case. Um, and they beat him with a wrench and oh. they threw him on the side of the road. And um, there was, by the grace of of God, the universe, I, I don't know, but there was somebody driving home like two, three o'clock in the morning. We still don't know who she was. And she found him. And um, she is the one who basically saved his life. So he was airlifted to one of the trauma hospitals here. And my parents got that phone call. And I remember ever since hearing like that cry out of my mom, the cry out of my dad. My dad's a giant man, okay? He was like 6'3", hardcore biker. Like there was no emotions unless it was anger from him. And um, that destroyed me. Like I can actually still like, feel myself in that moment because it was such a heavy like like that's where it started um and we didn't know if he was going to make it you know he was in a coma um and he he did come out of it um he lost his eye he lost his front teeth um basically had to rebuild like half of his face and I say that because you know when we got to the hospital I remember sitting in an ICU and I'm watching my parents go in and into the room and then run out just like destroyed. Mm. And then watching my sister run in and she was gosh, 16, 15, 16 at the time. Yeah. Um, run in and just like, again, just like destroyed. And of course I couldn't go in there. Right. Um, but I remember, you know, once he did start to come out of it, um, there was a flood. We had a flood. I live in El Paso. Okay. It's desert here. We don't get rain. Like, it was insane. The day that the city was underwater, my brother came out of his coma. Oh, and wow. um, we couldn't be there. We, we we couldn't see him, you know, so he was alone. He was waking up alone. And that destroyed me also. Like, I remember, like, even right now, like, th- just that moment being like, why are we not there? He's alone, like, just crying, you know, but hearing his voice over the phone, like I don't really talk about that part, but I, I go into such detail over this because this destroyed me. Like this changed me for the rest of my life. Um, and you know, the first time I saw him, my brother was a beautiful man. Like he's still, you know, but seeing him and what he went through and what they did to him, it was like, Oh my gosh, you know? And that also destroyed my mental. Like I'd never seen anything like that. And this was after the reconstruction, this was a healing process. So, um, you know, he had to learn how to walk. He had to, um, learn how to literally everything. Thankfully, um, he didn't have brain damage also don't know how that's possible. Um, but you know, going through the court, going through all of that, like it just, it destroyed my family. It destroyed each and every one of us and nobody talked about it like I don't my brother doesn't even talk about it you know um and I share this because this is my side of what I dealt with but nobody you know I asked my kids like I can see they had a bad day and I'm like are you guys okay like what's going on and we die I don't care what it is so to think like nobody thought to look at us and say are you okay yeah it just blows my mind 
Yeah, you were so young and you were dealing with all of these really traumatic, really adult topics, you know, assault, attempted murder, a court trial, which is often really re-victimizing to the victims themselves and to their families, you know, having to see your brother in, in, in the ICU going through this reconstructive surgery process. I mean, those are traumatic. Each one of those, even the flood itself are traumatic events that could (laughs) really impact a child's mental health. And you were dealing with them one after another, after another, and really had no support. Do you think that your parents were just so focused on their own mental health or that they didn't think to try to help you through it as a child? Or do you think they had this idea that you were a child, so it wasn't affecting you? Yeah, no, that's, that's such a good question. So my mom's passed away or else, you know, I think they would have more answers. Um, And my dad, we don't really talk. So I know that's a little more of the aftermath, but you know, my mom, I remember waking up and seeing her, um, the butt crack of dawn. Okay. I mean, it's not even light outside. And I would peek outside my room and she would just be sitting there like with a cup of coffee. I don't think I even saw her eat during that time. So I can't sit here and be like, oh, she was fine. She didn't care. It's just, she was like, as a mom, carrying the mental load and trying to keep us alive and trying to keep herself alive and trying. Cause she was, she was crazy too. Okay. I mean, I always joke. I'm a little crazy. That that bitch. I mean, she was another level. She was the party, uh, which wasn't always a good thing, but she was literally, my brother was her favorite. Like I know everyone gets offended. Like, Oh, I'm not the favorite. He was the favorite. Um, I know she was just drowning and mm-hmm. trying not to catch a murder charge herself because that was her baby. And she was waiting for ICU to open. She was, nope, they closed because ICU has those hours, the closing and opening, whatever. She was there. She was back. She was there. She was back. Um, I mean, as a mom, like, I can't imagine. You know, as a mom, I think of these things and I put myself in her shoes and I'm like, I would have been destroyed too. That's her yeah. baby. You know, my dad, I don't know. Um, my brother and my dad owned a business at the time. So I know like during the flood, he was trying to keep that from, you know, going under. Um, I remember one time we were like sitting at the table. This is after everything though. You know, we're eating Taco Bell. My dad, my brother got up and we were like, what the fuck? You know, like he hadn't been walking. This is again afterwards. He's home. And I remember my dad being there and he was like, let him, let him, you know, but that's the only like memory of in the beginning that I remember of my dad, like, but I, he wasn't a comforting person. He wasn't my person either. Yeah. And he was really never connected with him. So I can't speak on that because I literally, I'm sure he was drowning too. That was his son, also his favorite. But I never, never saw anything other than like anger, you know? But yeah. my mom took my brother to his appointments. My mom took care of my brother. My mom was the one to, you know, run out crying because she couldn't believe like this had happened. Um. So it's weird. It's so weird. But all I can say is that a lot of my childhood, my dad was really selfish um, because he definitely chose drinking and partying over being with his family. Like, yeah. and that's jumping into the rest of it too, you know? Well, and it almost, as you speak, it almost makes me wonder if your mom thought at the time that keeping life as normal, quote unquote, as possible 
for you was best, you know, that if she didn't talk to you about it, if she didn't involve you in those, the processing of those emotions, maybe she thought that she was sparing you that trauma when in reality, looking back, it, it left you very confused and traumatized and unable to work through those emotions as no nine, 10 year old child could without somebody to talk through it with them. And your dad was just absent or angry. So tell me more about, tell me more about the alcoholism. Cause you've mentioned that a couple of times. How did that play into your mental health as you got older? Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. And after, after my mom got my brother where he needed to be, you know, as moms, that's what we do. Everyone else what we do. She was destroyed. Mm. And this is why I do what I do because she gave every piece of herself and had nothing else for her. Um, Literally nothing. So she went from like the fun social drinker to, you know, after that drinking on her days off, which was during the week um, to being a functioning alcoholic, so to say, and then later drinking around the clock. I mean, 24 seven, warm vodka, shitty cheap vodka it wasn't even the good stuff and she would hide it she would hide it all over the place <laughs> like I don't know why nobody ever looked at the woman like why are you doing that I think that's the other problem with mental health is like why did nobody ask her like why yeah um, because who the hell wants to do that it's that wasn't fun that was numbing um but I watched her do that you know and she would drink so much she would forget to pick me up from school so I always oh my gosh I'm so good at what I do in communications because I have always had to read the room. So I would know, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays were her day off. She was not going to be there to pick me up on time. I already knew. And then I, I expected I would be waiting, waiting. I was always the last one. I don't know how nobody called CPS either. Things are so different now. <laughs> so different. Um, but like she would be, you know, my sister again, 16 at the time, didn't have a license, would have to walk from her high school or try to find a ride to my house which was not close you know what I mean like as a walk at least an hour like at least to get my mom's car break into the house if she whatever have a key just depend like if the screen was locked break into the house get my mom's truck she'd be passed out and she'd have to come get me from school and you know her her education suffered also because she was in high school doing this yeah um my dad was working, I suppose. And I can say a lot of things about my parents. They both worked very hard. I'll give them that. Um, but that was also like like being forgotten, you know? And, and I would dread it and I would prepare myself mentally. I would be like, I know I'm not getting picked up on time today. I know this is not happening. So I would have to like get myself ready. Um, and that just really heavily took a toll on me because I'm watching my mom again, who she worked at Walmart for 11 years. That's also not fun. She did it because she had to. She did it because they, for the most part, you know, on during her days that she was working, she'd be able to use her lunch break to come get me from school, haul ass home, shove something in her mouth and then get back out. She wouldn't get out until, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night. Um, she was the one who bought the groceries, who planned the meals, who made things stretched, who, 
paid the bills, who kept us alive, kept herself alive. She literally would cater to my dad every morning. No shit. He would have to wake up at three in the morning. So she was awake at three o'clock in the morning, had his coffee, his breakfast, his lunch, his ice chest, because he worked far, whatever. And ironing his clothes. Like, you know, I mean, you would imagine she was like living the good life of being taken care of because she's catering on a man this way. And in all reality, like she was just shit on constantly by him. And Mm. he'd go to work, would come home at God knows what time. God knows what time. Wow. And Um, that's, it's so interesting to think back to that time period where I wouldn't say that was normal, right? It wasn't normal. Whenever, anytime it happened in history, it wasn't normal, but it was accepted. But it almost was. It was, yeah, yeah, it wasn't something that women at that point were told that that's what they were supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. Don't hand and foot on your husband and your male Mm -hmm. children sometimes. And then also, Mm -hmm. by the way, now we have, you know, go to work and help support your family and contribute monetarily. And it was this really rough point in history where women were expected to adhere to these very strict gender roles, but then also do the work of going to work and being one of the breadwinners for the household. Um, You know, my husband and I are a dual income household. We both work full time, but I don't dote on him like that. Uh, no way. Right. You know, we split Heck the no. childcare, we split the household <laughs> yeah. chores, you know, do you think that that burden, that emotional mental load of taking care of the children, taking care of the house, taking care of her husband and also working is part of what contributed to your mom's alcoholism getting so bad? It killed her. Mm. It killed her. Like let's, let's all stop and really think after everything I described, like if that's the life you lived, would you want to? And mind you, living in a time where divorce was like, oof, it was there. It was there. It was happening. But everybody was judging it. Everybody, you know, your your parents, your friends. Like, she also carried this guilt of watching other people. And, you know, for example, my brother's friends, especially because he was close with them, uh, or she was close with them, like, She's watching all these people get divorced and she thinks that's like the worst thing she could possibly do to her kids because she's a failure. Mm. She failed. And I'm like, I look back, like you have me fucked up. I don't know how else to put it, but absolutely not in every way. I, I remember just wishing my parents would have split up wishing because I knew that my mom was drowning. I was so young and I'd walk past the room. She'd be sitting there crying. Like, how do you Mm. not, you know, I mean, my husband and I have definitely gone through things. He went through a drinking habit, but coming home at whatever time. And then you want me to wait on you. Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) Not that I have not done things for him when, you know, things are bad or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but to the level of what my mom, I don't blame her. Yeah, you're it, it breaks you're in heart. a partnership. You're not a servant to your husband. You right. are <laughs> right. in an equal partnership. And it's amazing that you mm-hmm. were able to overcome tra- massive trauma, attachment issues, alcoholism, uh, assault, attempted murder, the death of a parent, and estrangement from another parent. And yet you are here and have crafted 
this amazing relationship with your partner, you have children, you're teaching them emotional, uh, what's yeah. the word I'm looking for? <laughs> emotional, uh, not IQ, EQ, what's the Q stand for? I don't remember, but <laughs> uh, you're I teaching don't. them, you're, you're modeling healthy boundaries, you're modeling healthy emotional processing and you're yeah. breaking the cycle, right? You're breaking that. Yeah that generational trauma that truly you could have carried on had you not gotten past this. So tell me then about the process of getting past it. Was there anything that was there like a moment that clicked where you said, I got to get into some therapy for this, or, you know, what was it that, how did you end up moving past it? You know what? It's so hard because I look back, Michelle, and like, I was 12 drinking, doing wow. drugs, um, having sex. Like it, it, that it's, it was a lot. Like I was a child doing things that I should not have been doing, Yeah. but I needed like some sort of love. I needed some sort of attention and, um, it breaks my heart to look back at like young me and, and know that that's the life that I chose. Okay. So from 12 to 16, um, I was out of control, you know, and I was, I was really good at it. Uh, I always say, I think I lived my twenties before that (laughs) because the day after my mom died, I found out I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. That was, that was the moment that I realized, Shelby, like, oh, Shelby. yeah. <laughs> Can we just yeah. pause on that the day after your mom died and you were 16? And 16. You I should make a pregnant. lifetime movie. You should yeah. make a lifetime movie. My God. So yeah, you find out your mom has passed, which in and of itself, if there were no other trauma in your past, that would send any 16 year old absolutely spiraling. And you had already been dealing with years and years of trauma and abandonment. And now your mom passes and you've got that dark cloud over you and you're having Mm -hmm. to deal with those emotions and you find out you're fucking pregnant. Holy I know shit, Shelby. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Talk me through it that. It was uh <laughs> it was quite the twist, you know, little uh little one two from the universe. Yeah. Um but you know what? It saved my life because I was spiraling. I was out of control. We watched my mom in and out of rehab, in and out of the hospital for years. I mean, years. We thought unfortunately, um the last time the last time we thought it was like every other time. And obviously it wasn't. Um, they could not save her. She couldn't retain blood. So we kind of watched her die twice. Like we, we got to the hospital and they called us and um, they told us like, you know, we can't save her, but we can make her comfortable. It was heartbreaking. Um, so then, you know, it took her a few hours for her body to to shut down. So it's quite oh. weird, like watching her die twice. Now I bring this up because when she was there, um, I remember looking at her. I hadn't talked to her for a while. We, I didn't live with my parents. I moved out at 14, moved in with my brother. And so um, I'd always thought, you know, if I don't talk to her, if, if I just play hard to get almost, right, 
she'll love me. She'll realize that I'm more important than alcohol. She'll realize that I'm more important than drinking. She'll get sober. I mean, obviously that's not how mental health works, right? But everyone's talking about alcoholism, not not the behind the scenes. It wasn't until she died. But I remember looking at her and saying like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry because what else do you say? And she was like, me too. You know, she couldn't really talk. And um, there was like that moment there where it was just so heavy because I like had officially known like, we were, that was it, you know, there was no saving us. Um, there was no, like, I would never have my mom. Um, and that was so heavy because it was like, she lost, you know, and she didn't because she's at peace, but like I lost. Um, yeah. and that was really hard. So when I found out I was pregnant, um, of course I was scared, fucking terrified. You know, that was not, I had a scholarship. Um, I was graduating early because I wanted to get the fuck away from everybody like I just wanted to run away um I hated being in El Paso I hated my life like I couldn't even see for years my whole childhood um I had attempted to have to kill myself twice Ugh. um and I literally was just living day by day by day and so for the first time when I decided that I was going to graduate and get out of here was the first time I saw like my life you know possibly what my life could be because I didn't have like, oh, I want to grow up and be a police officer. I want to know. Like, I didn't. Right. I was like, I just want to live, bitch. I always want to get out of here, you know? Yeah. So um, I remember like all of these things, all of these emotions start coming up. And I'm like, my scholarship, my like, like, fuck, you know? And and again, when my mom died, which was a very quick transition um, from my mom died to holy shit, I'm pregnant. It was like, I just want to run away. I want to go get fucked up. I want to, I, I don't want to, I was like in such a deep hole, it was disassociated to compare it. Um, and then, you know, the going through her, her funeral and everything, it was like shit. And then thinking that I had to get an abortion, like I had to, because I had a scholarship and how was I going to tell my family and what was I going to do? You know? So yeah. my mom was probably the only person that wouldn't have wanted to like, you know, kick me in my throat I, I don't know like she had always told me so funny if you ever get pregnant young like you know I would never kick you out you just have to know that like I, I'm here for you you know which was a weird thing to talk about um but I didn't have that safe spot even though she was an alcoholic like and I would have been scared to go to her I officially knew like holy fuck what do I do you know yeah so she was still your mom, mom and she had expressed that she would yeah. love you no matter what and that you would have a safe yeah <laughs> a safety net and a safe place to fall yeah. and all of a sudden this has happened and she's gone yeah yeah so I turned to my sister-in-law um again I lived with her my brother and their three kids at the time they're three boys um and I was like I'm pregnant you know and and she's like what the fuck like <laughs> nobody even knew like 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 you don't even have a boyfriend like well you don't need you know you don't need a boyfriend for that I'm just like <laughs> um so I slowly started telling everybody told my sister and a Peter Piper <laughs> because I was scared she's gonna murder me her and I were not close at the time we did not like each other we did not get along uh so I was really afraid that she was gonna try and again beat my ass if, yeah, if right. we were at home and then um I told my my brother and that was awful awful um 
awful. I cannot stress that enough. It was like disappointing your favorite person in the whole world, you know, yeah. and that hurt. He was like it a really father hurt. figure to you. It sounds like. Yeah. And I mean, if there was anyone I was scared of, it was, it was more scared of him and my sister because my sister was fucking crazy and she was going to catch me in the bad stuff I was doing. <laughs> and my brother let me get away with some bad things. Like he let me do some bad things, especially like with him, you know, it's kind of where like I started drinking or whatever. He's like, you're going to do it anyways. Like at least you're safe here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, probably not the right answer, but at the time I get it. It makes sense. And he was um, very young himself. Yeah. Raising a fucked up teenager. Yeah. Um, and so I, then I, I like to make a joke that I like to ruin holidays. So I told my dad on Easter, I oh. let us get through the whole day, but I fucked up the end of Easter. <laughs> my mental breakdown also happened on a holiday. I just, I don't know. It's holidays are your thing that I no longer do. Yeah. If, <laughs> if I'm unstable, one, my hair is very short and two, I'm fucking up a holiday. There you go. There, at least your family uh, knows what to watch for. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, like she if, cut her hair. It's the week before Christmas. Everyone watch yeah. out. <laughs> Christmas is canceled. Everybody yeah. repeat abort mission. <laughs> um, so I told my dad on Easter and it was really fucked up. He's like, okay, you know, we're going to get through this. Again, I didn't live with them. We're going to get through this. You know, we're a family. It, it, it happened to us. We're going to be okay. And I was like, waiting, waiting for a plate to be thrown, waiting for the anger. Cause that's all I ever saw from him. And again, I didn't talk to him. My mom would call me and be like, call your father. Like, fuck that guy. Like what? Yeah. Call me. Like I'm your kid. So, um, terrified, right. We leave. And I was like, Mm-mm. that was, there's something missing here. Yeah. You're waiting for the and... other shoe to drop. And it dropped, it dropped very fucking hard. I got a call the next morning telling me to go get an abortion. That's and I not was surprising. Like, uh, what? You know, mind you, all throughout this, all throughout this, this was a few weeks of a span because my mom died um, March 3rd in April, or, you know, Easter is April, I think. Don't judge me. Uh, I'm assuming it was about April time. Um, and I was like, wow, uh, what do I do? You know, so I'm looking into abortion clinics myself. And I'm like, here was my, here was my switch. If I have to tell my family that I'm pregnant anyways, I'm just going to have the baby. I If I thought that I could secretly have an abortion, I'm 16 at the time, right? So I'm a little messed up thinking it's my only option. My family's going to kill me. Um, they're going to absolutely lose their shit. I'm going to lose my scholarship. I'm going to, I was so scared to tell them, but I'm like, if I have to tell them that I need an abortion, I'm going to tell them that I'm pregnant. And I'm going to keep the baby. Yeah, that was my train of thought. That was in your mind as a child, because you were a child, that was the scariest part of having a baby was telling your family telling that family. you were pregnant. Yeah. And either way, you had to tell them. That's so, like, a fascinating knew, train of thought. <laughs> it really is. Like, it's kind of odd that I look back, but I'm like, I, like, I'm scared. But if I need, if I have to tell, I need to get, take care of myself. Yeah. which means that I need insurance. I need to go to the doctor. I need to check on the baby. I need, like my mind is so crazy. My mind went into mom mode, like without even realizing it. I was just like, well, fuck everybody. Like, I just need help. Like it just, just changed my freaking insurance. And I got to go to the doctor. I need to find the doctor. Like that's, that's where I went. Um, so my dad turned on me and I was like, 
fucking figured. But, you know, hearing that, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. He tried to get my brother against me, and my brother had my back. So then hearing my brother tell me that, I would, that fucking destroyed me. That, Mm. I was like, what? So my sister-in-law, she had my back. She said, don't ever, don't ever comfort. Why are you on your dad's side? Like, what are you thinking? And I remember that so importantly because at that moment, you know, my sister-in-law literally told him, you choose a side and you stick to it. You're not going to fucking hurt her like that. Yeah. So he did. They picked my side, but then it was, well, give us your baby. You can go oh. to school. You can have a scholarship. Yeah, your face. I know. Um, <laughs> you can take your scholarship, have the baby, and we'll take care of her. You know, you can work and still help provide for her, um, but go to school. And I'm like, okay. Uh, okay. Well, you know, what else am I supposed to think about that? Um, and, and my trainers, I was in sports medicine. That's what my scholarship was for. They were like, Shelby no you can go to school here you can do anything do not give up that baby like this is not the end for you and in that moment because they were like my parents okay they were so good to me it was my it was her name was Liz and it was Sean they were the head trainers and they had taken care of me they had helped me get a scholarship they put me in front of anybody I needed whatever I needed however much help I needed they got me where I needed to be um they brought my bought my prom dress when I was pregnant like they were everything to me um and that was the moment that I was like no I'm gonna be a mom I'm gonna have her and I'm gonna fucking do this and I'll I'll go to school if it makes everybody happy whatever but I'm gonna do it and that was the shift that was a shift where I knew that I needed to be better there was no drinking there was obviously no there was no smoking there was no being around people that were not good for this baby and I um if I knew if people were not doing the right things then you know, I wasn't going to be around them because I'm not keeping that around my baby. I literally went from like, you know, a fucked up 16 year old to 30 wow. fairly quickly. Yeah. And so there yeah. are a couple things that jump out to me there. One is your trainers, you know, these two individuals yeah. who oh. weren't your parents, but who were stepping into that parental role, helping you, like you said, get your scholarship, buy your prom dress, get you in front of the people you needed to be in front of, making sure that you had all these tools at your disposal that you didn't have from your own parents and your own family. And I want to point that out in particular, because I think sometimes we as parents now, we see other kids, right? We see kids in our kids' school, in their class, on the bus, and we think to ourselves, we don't, we may not want to get involved, you know, maybe I don't want to get involved, Mm -hmm. but when adults (laughs) do get involved and they do act as one of the most important ways you can get involved is to be a mentor to that child. It doesn't mean that you need to take that child out of their home or that you need to alienate Mm -hmm. them from their parents, but just stepping in and being a safe place for someone else is so vitally important to that child's success. So I'm so I'm so, uh, I'm so in awe of those two trainers that you had who stepped up and filled that role for you. And then the other thing that just jumped out at me when you were talking was that you had just lost your mom and your brain immediately went into now I'm the mom, I'm the mom to this child. And I'm going to do every single thing in my power to make sure this child has the life growing up that I didn't. 
it's, it's amazing. It's heroic. I mean, it's an absolute miracle that you were able to shift your thinking from I'm a child and I'm in this, not that you thought of yourself as a victim, but you were a victim, you know, you were a victim of your surroundings and your environment and you were not going to victimize your child. You were going to break that cycle. So uh, I really commend you for that. I don't think many people would have the strength and the fortitude to pull themselves out of that situation at, I mean, absolute rock bottom and turn everything around for the sake of their child, for the sake of your child. So tell me, how are you today? How is your child today? Tell me about your life now. Oh man. So it's a, it's a 180, you know, I'm still a little messed up because there is, I, I swear I always laugh. I'm going to start a co- podcast and call it. I'm a little fucked up because <laughs> I'm always going to be a little fucked up. You know, um, trauma stays with a, you. It does. It does. Childhood trauma is one of the worst things. Okay. It, it impacts so much of your life. And I just chose to have it impact my life in the best way I possibly could. Um, you know, I had a mental breakdown in 2019 thankfully my insurance had kicked in okay because before that I didn't have the funds for it or the insurance for it I can't afford to have a mental breakdown literally (laughs) it was kind of cool like my insurance kicked in because I had you know my first like full time and it was good and then it was like oh your shit you know here you go like lose your mind ruin Thanksgiving um it's I don't do it anymore I swear that it was a bad day um, I had been with my husband at that time for, oh my gosh, two and a half years. Hope he doesn't hear that. I think it was about two and a half years or so, two and a half years, two years. Um, at that time, my daughter was four, four, and then my stepson's four and a half. Um, and it was awful, you know? So I went into therapy. I had already dedicated to myself. Like, if I don't like this therapist, fuck it, I'll find a new one. Okay. I need to get into a uh, psychiatrist. Got it. I, here I am. So I would do um, Teladoc, I would use Teladoc and it was my virtual appointment. So whether it was in a video on my way home from work, I had about an hour drive. So I would schedule it at five o'clock. I pick my daughter up at six and that's how I got my therapy. In. Oh, um, I tried, I tried meds. Uh, I tried it for a little bit. Wasn't for me, but you know, my therapist at the time was like, Shelby, I think you could have ADHD. I said, bitch, no way. Like, I'm sorry. You can tell me whatever else I am, but that's not it. I just didn't want to accept it. I have no idea why she, you know, told me I was, um, I had anxiety. I had depression. I had PTSD. I had codependency. I had abandonment issues, whatever. And I was like, yeah, okay. Dope. I I feel that, you know, it all makes sense, but the whole ADHD. No, I would have been a lot more successful. I'm sure. Um, if I would have taken care of it then, But instead, I waited for my daughter to get a diagnosis. And her doctor looked at me and said, you know, mom, it's hereditary. I said, you know, you're the second fucking person to say that to me. That's when I was like, I need to work on it. So all of it was a journey. You know, I um, worked on my spiritual journey. I did a mediumship call, connected with my mom. I I kind of like healed. This is like the weird woo-woo side of me. But um. It was what I needed because therapy is amazing. Therapy is amazing, but there's that missing piece, right? And that's where I actually come in. Um, I started my life coaching business and I coach women on boundaries and confidence and, you know, life habits in general. But I love, I love the fact that I'm that middle part 
to, you go to therapy, you're overwhelmed, you're told with, you know, these tools and these skills and, and all of the things, but when you're not implementing them, or when you're, you don't even know how you feel like you're failing, but you keep going to therapy, you know, keep going because you need it. But like you're just overwhelmed with all of this shit to do. And I like to be the person to come in and say, give me the tools. Like, what do you need to learn? Where are you struggling to implement? And I'll help you. Like, let me coach you through it. Cause I had to become my own coach. Yeah. And I did, I coached myself on what was my next step and where do I, okay, well, how do I handle this? And it's so easy to get discouraged or like, you know, discouraged because like for me, I didn't want to yell at my daughter anymore. I don't want to yell. And that is a hard habit. Okay. It's hard because I get overstimulated. Um, and I had to coach myself. Where are my triggers? Where am I? You know, yes, my therapist is telling me what my triggers are or, you know, what to look for, but where are they in my life? How do I find them? Um, and it's a process, you know, it's, it's 2023 and I'm still constantly uncovering new things. Um, I've been with my husband for six and a half years now. Um, he used to work at Budweiser and drink a lot. We went through his own drinking habit together, somehow survived it, somehow came out better from it. Uh, we both live sober lives. He's been sober for almost eight, nine months now, which is big. That was my dream. Like, what was your dream to have a sober life for my kids? Um, you know, I wanted them to experience sober weekends and holidays and birthday parties. Like I just wanted it to be about them, you know, trips. I, I don't want them remembering, you know, oh, my parents always fucked up. Like that's, you know, they didn't pay attention to me. Like, no, it's about them. Um, and you know, I have, we have our dog, <laughs> my, my stepson will be nine soon. Um, my daughter turned eight in November. I'm homeschooling right now because her school was just out of control. So I was like, fuck it. What's another task? I can do this. <laughs> um, and Super I, mom over here. I don't call me that. I'm, I'm tired mom. Okay. I'm tired. Mom. I'm a, I love I'm it. a chaotic mom, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, growing two businesses, I just, I want my kids. I want, you know, I want anybody that I come in contact with to just understand, like, you can come from the worst fucking background. They're worse than mine. They're worse than mine. They're always will be. Are they better than mine? Yeah. Yeah. But like, instead of comparing, because that's what I would do to try and not acknowledge, um, it made it worse. So I had to acknowledge my trauma. I had to acknowledge my feelings and what I went through and, and say, no, it's not okay. But I also had a really heavy like realization that this happened for a reason. There's no fucking way I suffered and lost my whole childhood for no reason. There's just, there's no way. And it dawned on me that this is why, you know, being able to speak to people, um, being a speaker with NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, um, being a speaker with them and telling my story with them, like, I know that this will resonate with at least one person in some way or another, whether it's the teen pregnancy, the alcoholic parents, the, the fucked up thoughts, like it doesn't just go away. Right. But you have to choose to work on it. And that's literally what life's about. Like there's no magical fix. You're not going to go to therapy and all of a sudden come out and, you know, feel wonderful. No, you're probably going to feel like shit, but you have to work through it. Um, it's the encouragement. That's also why I started my life coaching business. I was talking to my client yesterday and she told me, um, if there's anything, it's the encouragement. Like I didn't know 
that I was as good as you tell me. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not because I'm like blowing smoke either. Like, no, it's just pointing out what you are and who you are. And you need to focus on that. Um, so I love what I do. I'm tired, you know, but I'm ready for more because my mission is not, I, it's not accomplished until I am on stage in front of thousands of people. And I'm, and I'm telling other, you know, everyone, whether they're parents or they're executives or they own businesses, or they're just your average Joe, like that, whatever you came from does not have to be who you decide to be. Like you get to fucking choose. You get to have boundaries. You get to protect your energy. It's your life. There is nobody else that's in control. It is, it is our life. I love that so much. Where you came from does not have to be where you go. You get to choose. It's your life. You're in control. That's such a beautiful sentiment to end on. Shelby, thank you so much for being with me today. This was amazing. I can't wait to have you back again. Thank you so much, Michelle. I appreciate you. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources and a link to join your village our Facebook community. Catch you next time.